Would you please grab your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. As you're turning there, I would just like to remind you, as is our custom every month, that communion is for believers only. Communion is for those who are in union with Christ. We're communing with Christ. That is to say, we're having fellowship with Him, spiritual fellowship as we partake. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.16, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Sharing koinonia. We are entering into a time of fellowship. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer Because you do not have fellowship with God through Christ, we ask that you withhold from partaking. Second, not only is communion for believers only, but communion is an invitation to self-examination. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians that a man must examine himself before he partakes, lest he invite the discipline of the Lord. This is an opportunity for you to get right with God. Now, in a sense, when someone comes to Christ, you are justified, you are made right with God. But we as believers, we can and do sin. That affects our relationship with God, not our status of salvation, but our relationship. And so when we commune with Him in an unworthy manner, we are inviting His discipline into our lives. So it's an opportunity for self-examination. Third, it's to be taken corporately. This is not a private practice. And it reminds us to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered. We are to do this in remembrance of Christ. But fifthly, and this is really what I was wanting to drive at this morning, is that the Lord's table reminds us that we are united with one another. 1 Corinthians 10.17 says, Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Again, 1 Corinthians 11, 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for better, but for worse. Talking about coming together for the Lord's table. This morning, I want to focus our attention on the call to love each other before we partake of the Lord's table and really a beautiful section of scripture. I've elected to read quite a bit of it. So in John chapter 13, would you just follow along as I read beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to come back and make some comments. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, and he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper. And he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. 
So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had finished, uh, so when he had washed their feet and taken up his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to him, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread and has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, "Tell us who it is. Uh, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking." He leaned back. Uh, he leaned back thus on Jesus' bosom and said, "Lord, who is it?" Jesus answered, "That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him." So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately and it was night. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself, and the Lord will glorify Him immediately. Little children, listen to this, I am with you a little longer, you will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
Did he just read 34 verses for a communion meditation? I did. What I wanted to point out to you in this passage is the amazing love of Christ. And that same love we are to extend to one another. Just a couple observations from this text. First, we see how personal Christ's love is. Notice in verse 1, it says, He loved His own. There in verse 1, that's used to differentiate between those who were truly His in the room and those who were not, i.e. Judas. Here, this is an expression the Apostle John wants us to know of Jesus' love for those that are truly saved. And then notice at the end of verse 1, it says that He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Telos is the Greek noun. And it means that He loved them to the uttermost or to the maximum. When it comes to the personal love of Christ for His own, He leaves nothing on the table. He loves His own to the maximum. Not only do we see that His love for His own is personal, but we see that His love for His own is humble. And our love for one another ought to be a humble love. Notice in verses 5 through 11, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. This is something reserved for the lowest of slaves, so they were shocked that He was doing this. But the purpose of the foot washing is not that we would have a foot washing service here. It is a metaphor. It is a metaphor for what love looks like. It was a foreshadowing of the cross. Notice verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter said, no way, you're my Lord. You're not functioning as a servant to me. Not going to happen. I'm not going to let you do that, Jesus. Jesus' response is interesting. He says, Peter, you don't realize what I'm doing right now, but you'll realize hereafter. Hereafter what? After his death and resurrection. This is a metaphor for the cross. The reason why Jesus is washing their feet because he's preparing them to receive, uh, he's preparing them to receive him as their savior. The idea is this. If you can't let Jesus wash your feet, how do you think you can let him die on the cross for you? It's a metaphor for what Jesus is about to do. This is the night before he's crucified and he's preparing them to accept the reality of his death in their place. The love of Christ is personal. The love of Christ is humble. But thirdly, the love of Christ is our example. Notice again in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said again, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I did. Now here's really why I wanted to do this this morning. I've taught this passage several times and, and I've always been struck by the fact 
that we are to love like Christ loved. The new commandment I give you that you love one another. But why? Why does Jesus say this now? And I've historically taught it because right before this incident in Luke 22, the disciples were arguing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be the greatest? I am. I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And so Jesus might have said in that moment, it was in this moment, love one another. But I think John actually tells us the answer. I don't think it was necessarily because they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. I think it was something else. Notice down in verse 31 again. I'm sorry, verse 33. Notice his affectionate tone here. Little children. These are grown men. That's weird. I am with you a little longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then, a new commandment I give you, love one another. I think what Jesus is doing here is I think he is gripped by his love for his own to the uttermost. And he knows that tomorrow he is departing to go back to the Father. And maybe, just maybe, the thought in Jesus' head was this. Who's going to love him when I'm gone? Who's going to love him when I'm gone? I know. They're going to love each other. Think about this for a minute. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He calls those who are his own to love his own just as he would have if he were here. How does that change how you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe another question is, how are you doing with that? Does your love look like Christ's? Though he was their Lord, he took off his garments and took the place, his place as the lowest level person in the room. Although he was Lord, he became servant to all. Is that how you view loving the people in this room or your brothers and sisters in Christ? Where your priorities don't matter compared to their needs. Though he was equal to the Father, he did not consider equality something to be grasped. But rather he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant. That's the theological discourse on John 13. It's in Philippians 2. As I read this this week, I was so convicted. The love that Christ has for his own is the love that we ought to have for one another. And as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's table, yes, we're reminded of the heart of the cross. 
that Jesus came to die in our place and three days later he resurrected forever conquering the, day, the grave. But we are also reminded of the implications of the cross. That is, how does it actually change the way that we live? The gospel is not just fire insurance where we believe in Jesus and then we go to heaven and not to hell. It is true we are justified and we are going to be in heaven, but it is not just that. We are also born again and regenerate and Christ leads us out of our sin in this life, transforms us uh, from people who only love self to people that actually love his own. And as we partake together, we are reminded that as we partake of one bread and one cup, that we are united with one another because of what Christ has done. And he says to us, a new commandment I give, love one another as I have loved you. I'd like to invite the elders and the deacons forward to distribute the elements. As the men distribute the elements, please hang on to them and we'll partake together after this song. Let's pray. What matchless love is this that we would be called sons and daughters of God and that Lord you would commission us to love each other in your absence. Lord we know one day you are returning to rule and to reign on earth where you will love your own. And we long for that day when we will see you face to face. But Lord, we thank you that you have not left us without love. Not only your love dispensed from heaven, but your love dispensed through your people on earth. Lord, help us to love one another better, more sacrificially. Lord, the world, we will know that we are of you because of the love that we have for one another. Lord, the key to our evangelistic efforts is rooted in our love for each other. They're not at odds. They're one and the same. So Lord, we ask, we ask for the Spirit's power to work through us so that we would have the kind of love that you call us to have to have and to give. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.